This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Jamal Sanchez, and I am from the Pueblo of San Felipe. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day, which is a new holiday that celebrates and honors Indigenous peoples, commemorates our histories and cultures, and acknowledges centuries of resilience. To honor Indigenous Peoples Day, we bring you a very special edition of Generation Justice. Tonight, we speak with Dr. Christine Sims, an expert and leader of Indigenous language revitalization and associate professor in the Department of Language, Literacy, and Social Cultural Studies at the University of New Mexico and has advised others internationally. And Mr. Regis Pecos, who has been a steadfast leader in Indigenous rights. For example, he has led the Yazi Martinez lawsuit and helped to secure the Cochiti Dam for the Pueblo and has trained so many Indigenous youth for over 20 years. Mr. Pecos is the former Cochiti governor and co-director of the Leadership Institute. Here is Rachel Riley, a member of the Acoma Pueblo and GJ's Youth Coordinator, speaking with our distinguished guests, Dr. Christine Sims and former Cochiti Pueblo Governor Regis Pecos. This is Rachel Riley with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Dr. Christine Sims and former Governor Regis Pecos. Dr. Christine Sims is an associate professor in the Department of Language, Literacy, and Sociocultural Studies in the College of Education at the University of New Mexico. She completed her doctoral work at the University of California at Berkeley, focusing on these issues of heritage language maintenance and revitalization among American Indian tribes. Dr. Sims specializes in indigenous language revitalization and maintenance issues, providing technical assistance to indigenous nations in language program planning and training American Indian language teachers. Dr. Sims is a member of the Pueblo of Acoma and resides with her family on her home reservation in Northwestern New Mexico. Former Governor Regis Pecos is a citizen of the Pueblo de Cochiti. He is currently co-director of the Leadership Institute at the Santa Fe Indian School, which he co-founded. He has served as counselor and former governor, three terms as lieutenant governor, and is a lifetime member of the Tribal Council of the Pueblo de Cochiti. Mr. Pecos was most recently former chief of staff to the Speaker of the New Mexico House of Representatives, Pecos previously served as senior policy and legislative analyst to the Speaker of the New Mexico House of Representatives and for 16 years as executive director of the New Mexico Office of Indian Affairs under four administrations. I'm so honored to have these two guests be a part of our program this evening. Um, especially, I would like to acknowledge that Dr. Christine Sims is my aunt and former Governor Regis Pecos is a longtime mentor of mine 
through the Leadership Institute, which I was a part of in 2011. On this Indigenous Peoples Day, welcome to Generation Justice. And now I want to ask both of you if you could please share a little bit more about yourselves with us. Dr. Sims, let's start with you. Okay. <clears throat> uh, my name is Chris Sims. I'm from Acoma Pueblo. Um, I am an associate professor at the University of New Mexico in the College of Education. Uh, I am in the bilingual program uh, there in the Department of Language, Literacy, and Social Cultural Studies. And I also direct the American Indian Language Policy Research and Teacher Training Center there. Um, it, my background very quickly is, is having been born and raised here in New Mexico. Um, you know, my family has, uh, who knows how many generations back uh, we are in terms of Acoma Pueblo uh, ancestry. Um, but my early education, you know, has been here in New Mexico. And um, I uh, got my master, my bachelor's degree here at what used to be the University of Albuquerque, got my master's from NMSU. Uh, and then I went on to get my doctorate at UC Berkeley. So that's a little bit about my background. Thank you. Great, thank you so much for sharing. And Mr. Pecos, would you please share a little bit more about yourself? Thank you, Rachel. I'm Regis Pecos and I'm from Cochiti Pueblo, um, former governor uh, there at Cochiti. Um, I spent uh, almost 30 years of my professional career in state government and 24 of those in the legislative body. I just recently left um, there. I received uh, my education at Princeton and was a classmate in the PhD program with Dr. Sims uh, that I uh, really uh, enjoyed in that time. Um, and I've also uh, been part of the, the senior uh, leadership program in the John F. Kennedy School at Harvard University. Thank you, Mr. Pecos, for sharing. Uh, it's an honor to hear the amazing work that both you and Dr. Sims uh, are doing and have done in the past for our indigenous communities. Uh, now I wanna ask the both of you what does Indigenous Peoples Day mean to you? So Mr. Pecos, if we can start with you. What Indigenous Day means to me is the most recent recognition of the place of Indigenous people in one of the most powerful nations that um, is a result of a long history of colonization of our indigenous peoples. Our elders teach us that every day um, the creator gives us but one day to live, but how we live uh, each day defines um, our life. And so in this time, as we reflect on indigenous day, it is a celebration and a way to honor uh, our ancestors, all those who, who since time immemorial as our elders teach us, uh, when we've come into this place 
uh, upon this earth um, with the original instructions of, of how to be and how to live. All of what defines us today has been defined by generations of our ancestors. And there's no better time than on this day of recognition uh, in, in this nation of the United States of America that we honor uh, our ancestors for all that they sacrificed that define uh, the gifts that we inherited um, from them. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Dr. Sims, could you please share what Indigenous Peoples Day means to you? Well, um, I think of this day as um, one that reaffirms not only our identity as Indigenous peoples um, in this nation, you know, a nation that um, prides itself on uh, being inclusive, you know, um, uh, I think in many ways, just the affirmation of America's indigenous peoples is, is a big lesson, if you will, for all of America. And so um, when we take it on those terms, we know that there are many lessons of, of strength and resi resilience and perseverance that have been the story of indigenous peoples in, in the America in the Americas, because we also have brothers and sisters that, you know, are beyond just uh, the boundaries, the artificial boundaries, if you will, of this country. Um, but it's been those um, lessons as well that have given us as Indigenous peoples, I think, a, um, a lesson in terms of, a huge lesson in terms of what our past generations have endured, the challenges mm -hmm. that they faced, how they've overcome them, but also as well, how we need to continue that um, fight, if you will, um, mm -hmm. to make sure that we, we understand what those issues are for our people today so that there will be another generation and more who will continue to, uh, to have the benefits of of who we are as native peoples, the identity and the rich cultural traditions that we have as, as indigenous peoples um, and all the things that go with that, you know, language, culture, spirituality, all of those things I think is what we pray for. And it's probably also what generations past prayed for as well um, in terms of how we look at ourselves and how we view ourselves and how we value ourselves as indigenous peoples. So there, there is much wrapped up in that I question, you know, but um, I, I see it as a, a reaffirmation, a celebration, um, but also um, uh, a point at which we can um, choose to do better uh, and choose to do things that will help uh, our people uh, live good lives for now and also into the future. Thank you for, to the both of you for sharing such meaningful perspectives. Um, as an indigenous young person myself, uh, I hear from the both of you as elders in our communities that um, the importance of recognizing the history of our people, peoples, uh, but also uh, using this day as a way to celebrate how we can move forward 
and heal from uh, the different forms of colonization of our communities. So thank you for those words. Um, now I want to ask the both of you to please share some of the history of your work and some of the struggles you have encountered as you have worked towards indigenous justice. Dr. Sims, if we can start with you. Sure. Um, well, I guess as a context or background for my work, um, I can say that I probably being close, it's been probably close to 40 years or more that I've worked in the field of wow. American Indian bilingual education. Mm -hmm. um, when I look back on my teaching career, which I started out, you know, as a teacher of history, um, my my actual uh, first job ended up not so much as a history teacher as it was a, a language teacher um, in the 1970s. And um, I think there there came a point in that those early years of my involvement with helping to develop a language program for our Ackerman Laguna students in in our communities at the local public high school that I I would say I kind of accidentally stepped into that field of um, indigenous language education because that had not been my my training in terms of a secondary teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the time when this opportunity arose and, and people were uh, in our um, school district were looking for a certified teacher, I had those credentials, someone who knew the language, which I, I did, uh, and somebody who um, could begin to develop a program. Those were really kind of the first years that I had ever really thought about language per se. And, um, and, and that kind of um, started the ball rolling, if you will, from the 1970s on in terms of my work in um, native language uh, programs. But um, as well, the bilingual education field was opening in the 1970s to where more indigenous communities were uh, engaging in bilingual programs in their communities. And this had happened in our own community at Acoma where a bilingual program first started uh, in the 70s uh, up into the 1980s. So long story short, the, 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 I guess you could say that um, beginning step into that field of native language education was something that I continued to work on all the way through my, um, my, my doctoral studies at UC Berkeley. And again, that seemed to kind of open up, um, uh, I don't want to say by accident, but it was certainly wasn't something I was actually pursuing because I was, I was fine. I had enough work to do at home in terms of, you know, bilingual programs and things like that. But um, I had some really good mentor friends of mine um, who were very interested in the work I was doing. I was finishing up my master's uh, in the early 1990s. And um, these professor friends of mine who eventually became my professors at UC Berkeley um, were probably the folks that encouraged me to pursue a PhD, like I said, which I never <laughs> had intended to do. Um, and by, by the time that I was looking at that field as an area of study at the doctoral level, 
there were other opportunities that um, emerged and opened up. Uh, uh, Mr. Pecos um, mentioned earlier that um, he and I and several other Pueblo people were involved in a um, pilot doctoral program at UC Berkeley. Mm -hmm. And um, coupled with some uh, folks from some of the other Pueblos, we, we embarked on this journey, which was, was all new to us um, in terms of that level of, of graduate study. Um, through, through, through the years after um, I finished uh, my, my doctorate at UC Berkeley, there were also many things happening in the field of native language education, which were also new. In, in the newness of that was actually the emerging shift that we were beginning to see in language, native languages um, being replaced by English uh, among different younger generations, but especially among school age generations. Um, by the early 1990s, um, some of our communities here in New Mexico were engaged in efforts to, to uh, learn more about what language immersion programs were about. Um, mm -hmm. Acoma Pueblo and Cochiti Pueblo were kind of partners in a way during the early 1990s when we both, when both Pueblos embarked on some um, new initiatives we had never tried before. Um, Regis has been a, um, has been one of the most faithful partners in this work in terms of his role at an agency level that supported this early work back in the 1990s, where we were basically teaching ourselves uh, what language immersion programs were, were about. And so um, I, I credit, I give a lot of credit to the support that, that Regis provided for our communities um, uh, through his role at, at the state level agency during that time. Um, much of the work that I do now is um, work that uh, is based on um, uh, work that preceded my coming to the University of New Mexico, uh, because by the 1980s and 90s especially, we realized that it wasn't bilingual education per se that was, was the need. It was really a language revitalization need that was, was emerging in many of our communities. So some of the prior work that I had done with colleagues of mine throughout New Mexico who were bilingual educators, native bilingual educators, um, had involved providing teacher training to native bilingual teachers for uh, at least, I would say, a good 15 years. But by the 1990s, that, that changed because the focus now was on having to teach native languages almost as second languages. So based on that, my work has also evolved in that field, in that area of language revitalization. And my doctoral dissertation was uh, focused on those efforts among native language communities, but especially mine, ours at ACMA, because we were beginning to see those changes happen in the early 1990s. So that is also the basis for my work when I finally, when I did join UNM in 1999, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it became the impetus um, for a collaborative effort to establish an American Indian Language Center at UNM in the College of Education. And again, it was through collaborative support from folks like um, Regis, um, 
uh, our department chair at that time was Dr. Rebecca Blue Martinez. And there were many Pueblo leaders at that time in 2007 that um, basically were asking that we have a center established. And so it was through their collaborative support that we were able to secure some pilot funding from the US Department of Education. And so that center is still there and, and that's what I direct. And we've had many opportunities to work with different language programs here in New Mexico, but also to work closely with communities who are very concerned about um, the, the loss of language and the erosion of language. So that kind of in a nutshell is, is where I've been. Like I said, it's a, it's a long story short, but <laughs> that's, that's where I started and, and where I am now. So thank you for sharing that um, brief history. <laughs> um, uh, we'll go to you, uh, Mr. Picos. Uh, if you could please share some of the history of your work and some of the struggles that you have encountered as you work towards indigenous justice. Thank you for that question, Rachel. And of course, um, Dr. Sims is legendary uh, in her work. And I often get emotional reflecting on the different points in our life journey that our paths have met mm -hmm. uh, and, in, and together with others have made really, in retrospect, some really profound uh, significant contributions for the survival of language. But as a student of history, you know, one of the things that I appreciate um, deeply is that there are so few of our own people who have been the authors of, of our history. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that in a place like Princeton as an undergraduate student, being only one of six student, native students there, I quickly realized that the, the, the history, the, the tragic history of colonization um, in the United States have largely dictated uh, and forced us to respond in ways that have never really been told and to, to be realized with a deeper understanding and a heightened awareness of the work that defines um, our passion. And, and that history, that study of history has necessarily uh, given me focus and concentration that that long history that began um, with the first encounters, mm -hmm before these first encounters were incredible classic uh, civilizations that were thriving and flourishing. And as our elders prophetically teach us through word of mouth, that this was already predicted that there would be others to come from other uh, directions upon our journey through life and that they would challenge the very essence of our existence. And that is so true. And that largely defined uh, my course of my lifetime work, studying the impacts of policies and laws that indigenous people since those first encounters have, have pushed back upon 
the gifts that 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 you've learned in our leadership institute in our summer policy academy not taught in 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 the schools that educate us absent the depth of this reflective struggle of our cultural survival and the threats of every colonizer into this space of our people uh, have always threatened language and our way of life and our governance systems, our customary laws and traditions and family and community and resources. And that is our history. They are among the most darkest chapters that the United Nations define uh, to be among the worst crimes against humanity because mm -hmm. of the intentionality and with the kind of force of these impositions to destroy our systems and structures. And so that has largely uh, defined my work and the work that I have centered on comes in very personal ways with the threats of the largest construction of a man-made lake uh, in the world upon our own reservation, upon our most sacred lands that, that really uh, brought me face to face of the realization of the continuation of the powers of colonizers upon our people, upon our way of life. And so those experiences that I engaged in firsthand uh, against um, the oppressors uh, and the kind of intentionality that has been the history of education since the creation of boarding schools in 1990. Uh, and the underpinnings of that kind of mantra of the intentionality of killing language and culture as part of a, an assimilation process continues today. Those very underpinnings um, really um, continue in public school education. But over the years, my focus has been in creating the human capital, uh, creating programs to, to create our capacity to become authors of our own policies and laws uh, at the federal level and at the state level. And that work has necessarily um, moved us as we did to, to co uh, as a co-founder of the Leadership Institute um, to create our own uh, systems and structures for the transfer of cultural knowledge. And as my grandfather often spoke that it was time to, to recognize that we have to give equal value to the things that define who we are, that is language and culture, but it was also a time to recognize that our generations would have to also, one, invest in developing the skills and the tools through what he called the white man's education to create a kind of balance that has defined our work. Uh, and so investing in young people, and I am so um, overjoyed uh, that we're having this conversation uh, with you who, <laughs> who came to us in our Summer Policy Academy to actually engage in learning that history so that it would help to define and understand and appreciate 
what every generation before us has sacrificed to define our inheritance and, and how today we have to contribute um, in young people to create the kind of love that results in doing whatever is necessary to contribute to the well-being and the maintenance of the original instructions that provide us the means to be conscious um, in all that we do for the maintenance of a healthy mind, body, and spirit. And so my work has largely been in creating policy and laws. And as Dr. Sims shared, it's, it's legitimizing language in New Mexico law. And we accomplished that to create um, the statutory framework that um, one embraces um, native languages to be treated like other languages. We were able to accomplish by law to have the state defer to our own Pueblo and tribal governments to certify our teachers. And we are pursuing uh, one continuously to treat native language teachers equivalent uh, to those who carry a BA degree. And mm -hmm. Dr. Sims, I am so happy that we are living to see uh, that hard work with the most recent actions by the Bernalillo Public Schools uh, to take action as a matter of policy to treat all native language teachers in the district to be comparable with teachers with a BA degree that increases their salary, but they have now also taken actions to treat language courses as honors courses and as AP courses mm -hmm. uh, so that no young person in high school has to compromise their grade point average because native languages are not treated with that legitimacy. Um, but here we are in 2021 after uh, 30 and 40 years of our struggles. The one person that I am most happy for uh, is Dr. Sims because she in this life has done more to to preserve native language, to legitimize its place in the larger heritage framework of languages. And I am so elated that she continues her work, but that she can see the fruits of the labor to legitimize language in this way. So much of the work that I have done is to create in our Summer Poly in Policy Institute at Princeton University that you were a part of, we now have put over 350 young people who are coming back as you are in this interview. Uh, Dr. Sims's son was one of the first, he is now an attorney uh, focused on protecting Chaco Canyon, a place of great importance to us we have environmentalists, we have teachers, we have engineers, but that investment is now creating for the kind of human capital that our communities can benefit from. Uh, we have graduated and will soon uh, be on target to graduate 20 PhDs uh, in our Pueblo PhD cohort. So it's building very uh, intentionally programmed so that we're producing authors of policies and authors of laws that 
our grandpas and grandmas prayed for that we would someday be blessed with. And so that work continues uh, as it continues today in developing our own tribal remedy framework to a landmark decision now known as Martinez Yazi. And, and language is embedded at the heart of those efforts. But um, in this part of our journey, uh, when there were no policies and laws in the state of New Mexico, uh, it's been uh, the greatest honor and pleasure to work with colleagues like Dr. Sims and many others that she represents that are now native faculty to really become the authors of policies and laws that are now responding to restoring language and land and indigenous governance and customary laws and family and child protection, community contributions and the protection of resources as sacred sites and sacred um, areas of cultural resources continue to be threatened. So it's just been one of the greatest blessed opportunities that anyone could ask for. Um, and, and to find myself uh, and Dr. Sims at a point in our life journey to have a beautiful face and a smile in this interview with someone that uh, uh, we intentionally nurture to see this come true in our lifetime is one of the greatest blessings. Oh, thank you so much for that, Mr. Picos. It truly does make me um, emotional to be here and to be honored to be um, sitting with you, both of you, uh, this evening. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, I've had the honor to be able to go through the Leadership Institute myself uh, back in uh, 2011. It's been 10 years already. And if it weren't for the work that you all um, through the Leadership Institute have, have done for our indigenous communities and Dr. Sims, um, for the work that you do around language revitalization and, and experiencing the struggles of, of pilot programs and um, how to go about language revitalization in ways that many communities have, have are still trying to figure out and, and are still um, working through. It, it's such an honor to be able to be a part of that and to listen to you all and to, um, like you said, Mr. Pecos, for you all to be able to see the end products and probably the beginning of, of many more um, things to come. As a young person, it just makes me very grateful and it makes me feel um, like I have a responsibility as a young person to continue that work that you all are doing. Um, and just through the Leadership Institute, like I wouldn't be uh, in my master's of social work program right now if it weren't for you all and inspiring, continuing to inspire our young indigenous people to um, progress our community. So thank you both for that. Well, Rachel, I think both Dr. Sims and I um, can attest that the reasons why we do what we do, as one of our Leadership Institute fellows, Diane Reyna from Taos Pueblo shared with us, the reason why we do what we do today 
is because others have done that in our lives. And it is a reciprocal, uh, sacred trust. Um, and it's so beautiful to hear and it's not difficult to become emotional to have you share that with us because that punctuates that all that we have labored to do, that the seeds that were planted are now taking root and, and they come with people like you. And it is an assurance that you will bear fruit and there will be seeds that will come from this investment. And it is no greater insurance that there will be many more seeds that will, will come from the harvest that you bring in your life journey. So thank you so much. You are listening to a special edition of Generation Justice here on 89.9 KUNM-FM. Tonight, we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day with a beautiful interview with Dr. Christine Sims, the four leader of Indigenous Language Revitalization and Associate Professor in the Department of Language, Literacy, and Social Cultural Studies at the University of New Mexico. Dr. Sims is a member of the Acoma Pueblo and Mr. Regis Pecos, who has been a steadfast leader in Indigenous rights and has trained so many Indigenous youth for over 20 years. He is a former Cochiti governor and co-founder and co-director of the Leadership Institute. Now back to Rachel Riley, a member of the Acoma Pueblo, our interviewer for tonight. Um, as we move forward, um, on that note, Ms. Mr. Pecos, you mentioned about planting seeds and investing in our youth. My next question is, uh, what needs to be invested to truly honor indigenous people on this land that is known as New Mexico? So we'll start with Dr. Sims. Well, definitely among our own people, um, as Regis uh, has so eloquently um, voiced here, that investment in our next generation is, is very critical. Um, and, and it is um, a joy to see um, when um, individuals like yourself and others uh, from your generation uh, take up that work and, and continue to, to run with it. It's kind of like passing the baton, you know, mm -hmm. in a relay, because we all certainly are on the same journey, but at different points in time, you know, we've had our time to, to work at what we, what we know how to do and, and work and struggle to make things better. But then eventually, yes, the, the baton passes to a younger generation that hopefully will do the same. And um, so that investment in mentorship and in mentoring a younger generation to follow us is something that um, comes from previous generations as well, just like Regis has said. You know, I, I wouldn't have been where I am in the place where I am without having a mother and a father who I saw struggle, you know, to make um, better life for, for me and my sisters, your mother <laughs> and, and, our, and your auntie. And um, 
I just remember that, you know, my, my mother and dad didn't have formal education, not like what we have now, but they did their best and, and used what they have to, to make a better life and to make sure that we understood, you know, who we were and where we came from. And mm -hmm. so those lessons that come from wisdom from the past are what we continue to pass on to the younger generation. And it's in that investment of our own generations uh, in our communities that is um, going to make a difference in the future as to whether we continue, you know, as indigenous peoples with distinct and unique and beautiful cultures and languages, you know, or whether that begins to go to sleep. Um, you know, there's there's been too many other examples, you know, among other indigenous peoples in here in the United States where that has unfortunately happened, mm -hmm. where those languages have gone to sleep and there are no more speakers. And so um, with, with that idea of investment in our own people, I think also comes the recognition in the more public field about why these issues for us as indigenous people are so critical and so important. You know, that, that whole um, idea of legitimizing native languages being taught in public schools, I mean, right there is one big issue in and of itself, as Regis has mentioned. Um, that was never, that was never the case when we were growing up, when my generation was growing up. It certainly wasn't the case when our grandmothers our, uh, and grandfathers, you know, some of whom experienced the boarding schools, that was never their experience. And so, you know, when you ask what will, what will shift that American narrative, you know, uh, to recognize him, in uh, uplifting Indigenous history, it, it's that openness to learn more about why and, and how it is that we are at the point now where we're asking or really demanding that we make shifts in the paradigm about how education, for example, um, looks at native language uh, instruction. You know, and I'm sure there are other issues as well in other broad areas in social uh, health. You're, you are now in the social um, work field. I'm sure there are, you know, issues there that are just as critical in the health mm -hmm. field as well. But I, I see part of our work, and it'll probably be our work for the rest of our lives, is also making sure that people who are non-Indigenous also understand these issues. Mm -hmm. um, I'm in a field where, where every year we, we go through coursework that uh, inevitably I will have up and coming um, students who, who intend to be teachers in New Mexico, you know, both Native and non-Native, but the majority still are non-Native. And my first question always to them when I have them in a class is how many of you, you know, were born in New Mexico? How many of you consider yourself, you know, uh, uh, native New Mexicans, you know, and everybody, you know, will raise their hand. And so where were you born? Oh, I was born in Tularosa or Rio Dosra or in Albuquerque. And then my next question always is, 
how many of you have ever visited a Native American Pueblo in New Mexico or a reservation in New Mexico? How many of you have ever gone to one of our villages, maybe on at a time when maybe there was a public, you know, open feast day going on? And there's usually just maybe one hand kind of <laughs> and the majority of them will say and they'll be very honest some of this that i'm you know i've never i've never stepped foot on a reservation i don't know i don't know what the pueblos villages are like mm -hmm. and so that just in itself tells me there's a lot that needs to be done in terms of informing and making sure our our greater public is also educated and that's why I say that work will probably continue for our lifetime because there will always be new and upcoming generations who don't know this history, who don't know about indigenous peoples, who unfortunately in some cases see only through one lens in, in terms of you know, uh, their own experiences. And it's that broadening of their lens, that, that broadening of their understanding that um, I feel is is necessary, especially in our education system, and in higher education where we prepare uh, teachers uh, to to go out and teach. I tell them, you know, you may want to, or you may envision yourself as a teacher in the Albuquerque public schools and never having to teach on a reservation or whatever. I say, but inevitably at one time or other, you're going to have probably a Native American student or students in your classroom. What will you know about them? What will you know about their histories? What will you know about the cultures that they come from? Mm -hmm. So in my field, in the field of education, especially uh, where it intersects with teacher preparation, um, I feel there's there's a lot to be done there. And, um, uh, and like I said, in other fields, I'm sure it's the same case. But uh, specifically, I can speak to that because it's been my experience in terms of coming across young folks who who aspire to be good teachers, you know, but mm -hmm. I also challenge them that if they are going to be teachers, then they need to know who their students are and where they come from. So that's how I see that field contributing to hopefully broadening this this um, picture of, of uh, how we honor and how we look at indigenous peoples not only here in New Mexico, but um, throughout the, the US. Thank you, Dr. Sims. And um, I think these are all really important lessons uh, for our indigenous and non-indigenous folks. And even within our own family systems, um, for our listeners, uh, just to acknowledge too that Dr. Sims is my aunt. Um, so, Hearing these words from my own relative to um, a matriarch in our family um, and seeing the struggles that have gone through within our own family and, and how much you, Dr. Sims, as my aunt, as well as um, your sisters, within our own family, how, how much change and how much um, you all work to invest in, in the children of our own family uh, really shows the love that, that we all as Pueblo communities have for our future generations and how much we um, care to invest 
in those generations. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, let's go to you, Mr. Pecos. If you could please share uh, what needs to be invested to truly honor indigenous people on this land that is known as New Mexico. Thank you, Rachel. You know, since that, since the first uh, encounters, our lives and our love journey was forever changed. And since that time, every generation has pushed back on the various kinds of impositions that continue today. Nowhere is there a greater threat since that first Indian education policy was unveiled by the federal government with the intent to kill language and culture as the mantra. And a Hopi elder, when agents first came to take the children from their families, and those who resisted ended up almost two dozen of them in prison on Alcatraz. But one of the elders of that time said that the biggest threat to our cultural survival is the white man's education. And over 130 years now, that same imposition of assimilation continues to this day. And it has had a major impact on the survival of language. That as our elders teach us that if language dies, we become hollow and it kills culture and a way of life. Our indigenous governance systems and our values cannot continue if language dies. And so true to that prophetic statement of that Hopi elder, Western education, the white man's education has been and will continue to be the biggest threat because within that framework, there is no place for language and culture and our history and our art and our music, everything that defines who we are. And so one of the major findings in 2018 with this landmark decision in Martinez Yazzie versus the state of New Mexico is this very point that acknowledges that the reason for the state of our affairs and of Indian education that manifest in low academic achievement, poverty and hunger and health disparities and the highest suicide rates in this country is because there is a long history going back to that time 130 years ago that Western education and the imposition is a long history of systemic and institutional racism. So mm -hmm. one of our greatest challenges today is to redefine education as we say for our own purposes so that language thrives and that culture will thrive and that our way of life will continue and that Western education, if not balanced, with cultural knowledge transfer by creating new systems and structures to be balanced with the development of skills that are necessary, tools that are necessary for us to protect the people who will never leave our communities so that they are the keepers of the fire of the spirit to sustain 
our way of life. Education is currently the biggest threat. And if we do not take this opportunity to redefine education for our purposes for the first time, then the threats to language and culture, our lands, our governance systems, our customary laws, to our families and communities and the resources gifted to us to sustain us mentally, physically, and spiritually will die. And that is at the heart of the fulfillment of our sacred trust guiding every generation before us that in this time, our Pueblo governors and tribal leaders recently defined this struggle as the ultimate fulfillment of our sacred trust to transform education to one that is a balance so that language and culture and all that defines who we are are not compromised. And so to me, that is the biggest um, burden, biggest challenge of our time is to do what is necessary to fulfill our sacred trust, to define all of those gifts of our creators, guided by those essential core values, reaffirmed and, and supported by our faith and our ceremonial calendar that is the process of, of continuing the affirmation that this is central to who we are and that we do not succumb to the pressures in responding in this way that is the ultimate fulfillment of our greatest love for what the creator gifted to us, no matter as has been shared with us by our elders, that the way of life gifted to indigenous peoples was going to be the most difficult of all life journeys, but it would take great sacrifice to sustain those gifts. And in 2021 today, as we celebrate Indigenous Day, how blessed we are that we continue to thrive and flourish despite everything that the most powerful country in this world has tried to do to kill those gifts of the Creator. But as Dr. Sim shared, the love for our language and culture as our forefathers did, as our parents gifted to us, continues. And to me, that is the greatest um, strength of sustaining the spirit of who we are as indigenous peoples. But to redefine education, articulating a vision that we've never had to do in our life journey now becomes necessary so that we have a clear roadmap of what it will take to sustain everything that was gifted to us at the time, as Pueblo people say, in, in our emergence from the spiritual world into this physical place and that generation after generation, imagine by only word of mouth, that all of this wealth of knowledge has continued and embedded in that continuance has been the work of, of people like Dr. Sims that, that we cannot say enough is epitomizes the greatest love exemplified through her entire life to, to nurture the spirit of 
the most precious gift to us as language has been, and language is, I should say. Oh, thank you so much for that. And I think that um, you mentioned a really great point about the way we invest for our future generations is by redefining how education systems are set up. Um, and with that, um, I think it really, as you mentioned, the both of you have mentioned um, the deep rooted love for our, for our young people. Um, so thank you for sharing. Uh, as we are getting near to the end of our program, I wanna leave you both with the space to um, provide any message you would like for our future generations. Um, Dr. Sims, we can start with you. Um, I think my message would be one to continue to have faith in our, 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 our ways, because oftentimes I think we, um, uh, it, it's very easy to be, um, how would I say, to be um, influenced by the glamour, if you will, the glamour of um, society at large. Mm -hmm. And while there are good things we can learn, we should also always remember, you know, that, um, you know, our identity as Indigenous peoples first starts from, like Regis has said, those core values those ideas and understandings about what respect means, what reciprocity means, what, you know, uh, faith and, and, and love for your own people and also the idea of service to your community and your families and your people, which often doesn't involve being paid for anything. You know, the, these, are, these are sometimes I think core values that we often forget in the face of how we see modern uh, society and society at large operating and we have to be careful we have to be careful that that those those values don't begin to uh, um, influence uh, how we have been taught you know how we have been raised as, as indigenous peoples that's why I said earlier, there's much wisdom in how our families raised us. There's much wisdom in why, why our, our parents and our grandparents cautioned us, you know, uh, as we go out into the world and, and oftentimes we forget that. And mm -hmm. so my, my, my main message, you know, would be to the younger people is don't forget those lessons because that's what's, that is what has helped us to endure it's helped us to raise our families even as older generations pass on from this world and you know i i kind of have to um smile when people refer to us as elders like i don't feel like an elder <laughs> like, i feel like i'm still learning and because you know so so much of 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 what we do learn is a continuous journey Mm -hmm. We we don't learn everything all, all you know in one 
year or whatever. It's it's a continuous journey. So I learn and I learn from the younger generations as I see them, as I listen to them, as I watch them. Um, and for whatever it's worth from what I bring from generations past that have taught me, that's what I would hope that our children would learn, that they would hang on to that and they would see the value of that because there are going to be many more challenges to come that probably we haven't even thought of today. Mm -hmm. I mean, when we were going to school, Regis, in our generation, there there were probably many things we, we couldn't have imagined that we've had to now face, you know, as, as adults in, in, in our work. I wouldn't have imagined the many battles, I guess, if you want to call that, you know, the times that we've had to stand up and speak on behalf of our people, speak on behalf of, uh, you know, our languages. I, I never envisioned having to do that. And yet I knew that when it came time to do that, you know, I had the wherewithal because my own parents encouraged me. And, you know, I, I never even thought about pursuing this doctorate degree. And it was my mother before she passed on. Mm -hmm. She passed on before I even finished my doctorate. But she was the one who told me as I left home to go to Berkeley, she said, she told me in our language she said don't be afraid she said continue to try because what you learn is what you're going to use to help our people and she would say don't look back just continue to move ahead take with you what you've learned and even as I lost my mother during that time that's what helped me continue. I, I could have stopped right there and I could have said, forget it. I, I don't want to go on. But it was because of her words. It was because of her wisdom that I, I went on to finish. It wasn't easy. But that's what I'm saying with our current generations. Don't forget the wisdom and the courage and the support that comes from the words of your parents, your grandparents. There is much wisdom in there. Don't forget that. And that will be my message to our own gener younger generations uh, in our communities. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you. Um, it's a little emotional to hear you um, speak the words of um, grandma. Grandma, yeah. <laughs> Especially um, being a student right now and being a mother, um, now being a mother, especially um, trying to figure out and come to terms with um, how to be a mother and um, what it means to raise the next generation. To hear you speak grandma's words um, are really uh, reassuring reassuring when when we're living in a time when a lot of people have a lot of worries yep. so thank you mm -hmm. and you know Rachel if she were here today she would tell you the same thing mm -hmm. the very same thing um Mr. Picos if you would like to uh share any last words that um you would have for 
our future generations. I think in this times of really deep reflections, um, it is the most appropriate time to give thanks and appreciation and, and honor our parents and our grandparents mm -hmm. because they are the greatest teachers of the deepest love that defines our passion, that defines what we've done in our lives. They are the greatest teachers by far than anyone I ever encountered at Princeton mm -hmm. or everyone, anyone at UC Berkeley or at Harvard. And they had limited fluency in English. But I would just honor them and ask all young people to honor their parents and their families as their first teachers. And in all of our prayers, we ask that our children experience peace and to know its spirit and that our families nurture peace in their homes and that our communities share in the actions of peace, that people of the world celebrate peace because our elders teach us that only in our truth of our collective experience can we find reconciliation as a core value as Dr. Sims is sharing core values central to defining our life journey. And only through that kind of recognition as we wander from our defined paths and we make mistakes in our life that this core value of reconciliation, can we find peace and justice in this world? And what more would we desire for our children than peace and justice and love in our world? And those are essential core values gifted to us that it's now time to give to our children, to give to our grandchildren, so that in the same way that our parents and grandfathers and forefathers in adherence to these original instructions, guided in their lives by core values, by the faith, in our way of life. Our elders teach us that it is another one of our sacred trust, that as we move through our life journey, that we are conscious to leave a clear path for all generations to come after us to follow, that they will not be in a place where those pathways are invisible to follow in the footsteps of our ancestors. And that when the creator calls us back, that language can still be a part of us because only through language and our traditional ways can we prepare our time that ends upon this earth and in the gift gifted to us by our creator, 
return to all those who've gone before us. And these are the essential parts of the original instruction that we want to make sure that we leave behind. And the words of our parents, our grandparents and community members, every day that we leave home, even as adults, the simple words, Bashami, those simple words of having respect for others in the course of the day, in the course of our journey, are all of the gifts that we must preserve to continue the life journey from one generation to the next as they did in their time. And so as we engage in the collective celebration as indigenous peoples, there is so much that we must be grateful for to all those who have gone before us. And as we ask ourselves, what is the most precious gift to all future generations that will follow? to you and your child today. I hope that the words we shared today, which are not our own words, mm -hmm. but are the words of many through the course of our lifetime that we are taking the responsibility to give to you and others with which to carry forth in your time to define what all future generations will inherit from us. That is the ultimate collective shared sacred trust. And if we adhere to the fulfillment of that sacred trust, future generations will reflect upon this time as a time that they will also celebrate that we gift it to the other generations that follow all that the creator gifted us at the time of our emergence so that our way of life continues. So today is testimony, Rachel, that when we adhere to that gift of love and, and, and passion and respect to young people, that that is how we nurture the seeds that you represent that you will plant as you have now planted in your young child to nurture that so that in your generation, in your time, that sacred gift of your child will also bear the fruits and the seeds that come from that harvest will assure future generations that we will not be apart in our lives to know that when our time comes as the old Taos elder, religious elder, when, when Taos Blue Lake was returned to them, they asked him what and how he felt. And his only words were, when my time comes, I shall die in peace. Knowing 
that these essential connections and relationships will continue to live. And today it's honoring all those who've gone before for gifting us something special as indigenous peoples to this place, gifted to us. So Rachel, I just want to say how beautiful it is uh, to have been uh, part of this interview uh, mm -hmm. on Indigenous Day um, to give testament of what intentional investment in young people means to see this come full circle for both Dr. Sims and I. So thank you so much and thank you. what a great blessing you are. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Regis, and thank you, um, Auntie, <laughs> uh, for both being here. It was truly an honor to be able to have this moment and this um, evening to spend with the both of you. Um, personally, I took so much away, and um, I always reflect on the Leadership Institute and the experience of going through that program and um, the constant uh, reminder and question that you all would always pose of what will your contribution be? And that is something that I have always held on to since, since leaving with the um, Leadership Institute. And I hope that um, this day, Indigenous Peoples Day, is a reminder and testament to that of um, we as indigenous people, what will our contribution be for our future generations? Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sims. I love that you would like us to have faith in our ways. I love the story of your mother telling you to go get your doctorate and to not be afraid to do so. It really spoke to me and inspired me, and I hope it inspired our listeners as well. Thank you for doing what you do to help save the language here in our tribes so that we don't lose our ways and our words to pass on to the younger generations ahead. Thank you, Mr. Pecos, Hua Eshosk. Thank you for honoring our parents and grandparents. You are spot on with them being the best and first teachers in our lives. They will always be our teachers, no matter where we go. Meeting you was the greatest honor and your words will always be in my heart for a lifetime. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of celebration. We'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Christine Sims and former Governor Regis Pecos. Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberta Rael with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez and Rachel Riley. A huge thank you to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you and to KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you. Our website is generationjustice.org. We are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation and all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. I am Jamel Sanchez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned. Rawanoya Hopa.